It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to CoronaPod. In this show, we're going to bring you nature's take on the latest COVID-19 developments. And we'll be speaking to experts around the world about research during the pandemic. We're entering a new era now. We have new COVID strategies. There's some new unknowns and we've got a vaccine. Hello and welcome to CoronaPod. I'm Noah Baker and joining me after quite a long gap from the show is our Asia Pacific Bureau Chief, Nikki Phillips. Nikki, how are you? I'm well, thank you, Noah. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well. Pleased to have you back on the show after such a long time. It's great to be back. I am here in um, lovely, sunny Sydney at the moment. I had to say, bizarrely, it's sunny here as well, which never happens, but... um... Oh, well. So today we're going to talk about a particular type of strategy that has been taken by some countries around the world, which is actually very alien to me sitting here in the UK and is alien to many um, European nations, North American nations. And that's a COVID zero strategy. We'll talk a little bit more about why we're talking about COVID zero strategies now, because this isn't anything new. But to start off with, what do we mean when we say COVID zero strategy? So it's interesting you ask that because there, as far as I know, is no official definition of what COVID zero means. It's just become a phrase that we've used. But essentially what it means is countries that have introduced strategies to suppress and almost completely eliminate the virus that causes COVID-19. So some of those strategies are pretty intense um, and harsh, I guess. They're like lockdowns, they're really intensive testing and tracing and isolating, social distance as we call it as well. Where are we talking about when we talk about this sort of approach? I mean, parts of Australia is one example, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, Australia for quite a while in the initial stages of the pandemic seemed to be adopting that COVID zero strategy. Um, It didn't last at some point the virus got in and spread locally especially in the eastern states in Australia but over on the west side western Australia managed to remain COVID zero for almost two years of the pandemic. They've now since opened up a bit because they've got a really high vaccination rate and there are now local cases of COVID in western Australia but it was a place that was COVID zero for a couple of years of the pandemic and other places uh, around the world there's not many because you know we all know how infectious the coronavirus is. But other places around the world that have sort of managed this strategy are mainland China, Taiwan to a certain extent, Macau, um, places in the Pacific Island, Tonga, New Zealand to a certain extent. Now, some of these places were COVID-free for a long time and have since started getting outbreaks. And some of them are still fairly COVID-free at the moment. 
Yeah, and that's a big part of why we're talking about this now, right? Specifically, the countries that have spent a long time trying to be COVID-free and are now struggling to maintain that. And one of the core case studies in a story that you have recently edited, written by Andrew Silver, is Hong Kong. Yeah, so Hong Kong is a really interesting case in point. So a year ago, the COVID situation in Hong Kong was really enviable. They had about 17 cases a day on average, and they didn't really get above 60 cases a day for the whole year. Like, can you imagine that living in the UK? It's sort of hard to imagine, I I reckon. But, you know, fast forward to now, and Hong Kong has a raging outbreak going on at the moment. I mean, I just looked up their numbers before I got on the phone to you and it was about 14,000 cases yesterday from PCR and another 14,000 from rapid antigen tests. So, you know, combined we're looking at about 30,000 cases a day. You know, a week and a half ago, there were some days that the number of cases, reported cases climbed to about 56,000. So, we're talking about a big outbreak and they've also got quite high numbers of deaths. So, you know, yesterday, well over 200 deaths deaths that day. So, you know, quite a contrast a year later. And part of the reason that that's happened is because we're in the middle of an Omicron outbreak. You know, just about every country in the world has got Omicron and it's very infectious. So, that partly explains it. But a big part of what's going on in Hong Kong is their vaccination rate. They don't have a particularly high vaccination rate compared to many countries around the world. So, I'll give you some stats. As of January this year, only 62% of its population was fully vaccinated. And as of the 7th of February, only 33% of people over 80 had had one dose of the vaccine. And, you know, we know how devastating this virus is for elderly people. So that's a really low vaccination rate in the people who are most at risk of severe disease and death. Yeah, this is a really fascinating case to hear about. I mean, it's obviously devastating for people in Hong Kong right now, but from the perspective of someone sitting in the UK, it feels awfully like they are going through what we went through at the beginning of the pandemic. But the core difference here is that their strategy of suppressing cases through these extreme measures for such a long time, part of the sort of point of that strategy, part of the the way it was supposed to work is to suppress cases until we had appropriate treatments and vaccines so that when those extreme measures could be lifted, the impact would be less. But it feels like that has still not managed to play out. And it's fascinating to think about why. That's exactly right. So the idea of suppressing and eliminating COVID from these countries was really to buy time, primarily for a vaccine to come along and then to vaccinate as many people as possible and for treatments to come along. And so Hong Kong actually started offering vaccines to the public in February last year. But the uptake was slow. So in the past year, only 62% of the population has become fully vaccinated. Now, compare that to other countries, like here in Australia, in a lot of states, we've got 90 to 95% of people fully vaccinated and a lot of people getting their third booster dose. So it's a real contrast. And look, one of the reasons that we're seeing this low vaccination rate, scientists and researchers believe, is because these places where COVID wasn't an issue to people living there. It just didn't seem like a risk. And that did play into people's decision to get vaccinated or not. As one of the researchers in Andrew's story says, an important reason for vaccine hesitancy is the absence of a perceived benefit from vaccination when there's no risk at all. You know, it's a different story when you're in a place where there's a raging outbreak 
people can really see the benefit right in front of them of getting vaccinated. But when you're living life like a disease doesn't exist, then there's less of an incentive to get vaccinated. So that is one of the things we're seeing playing out, scientists believe, in, in Hong Kong. Yeah, it's, it's almost as though they're a victim of their own success. That You know, they were successful in suppressing the virus. And then that meant that people thought, well, this virus isn't that bad because it's not in my community. I don't see it every day. And so then they think, well, there's no reason for me to get the vaccine. I have to say, as I've been listening to you talk, I've been tempted to see this as some kind of fated, inevitable feedback loop. But of course, it's not inevitable. It's not fated. And it is preventable. There's a really good quote in this story from a scientist who says, in countries where there's complacency, I would suggest governments were complacent. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's um, Katie Atwell. She's a social scientist at the University of Western Australia was saying that. And I guess her point is it's up to governments to drive vaccine demand with strategies that address people's concerns and also address any barriers to vaccination. So in places where governments have successfully introduced strategies like lockdowns and test and trace to keep COVID at bay, then it was really beholden to them to then ramp up demand for vaccines. And you know that I think what she's saying is we can't blame individuals for vaccine hesitancy. There's a lot to be said for the structures and institutions around them. And one key example of how this can be avoided is Tonga, right? One of these countries that did attempt a COVID zero strategy and did make an extra effort to roll out vaccines. Yeah, so Tonga in the Pacific is really interesting because they were one of the places that managed to keep COVID out, largely by closing their borders and not allowing people to come in because, you know, they're an island. And one of the World Health Organization representatives that Andrew spoke to said there was a degree of complacency in Tonga. So what the government did with the help of agencies like UNICEF and the WHO is they actually visited villages in the island. Like, you know, we're talking about just about every village, even those on the remote outer islands, to speak to people about vaccines and answer their questions. So I think that went some way to addressing that complacency. And I think probably as in most places, when Tonga got its first case, even in quarantine, that sort of also had an effect on spurring people to get vaccinated. Something that Katie Atwell says is that the virus being present in the community does a certain amount of PR for the vaccine. And I can definitely attest to that here in Australia. You know, here in Sydney, I'm in the state of New South Wales. When we started getting outbreaks last year, it really did spur people to go out and get vaccinated. It's so fascinating for me as someone sitting here in the UK to hear about the kind of motivation, because I suppose differently here, because we've had so many cases for so long, and it was, you know, we were hit very hard, very quickly. I think the kind of key driver for vaccination here, just from my own perception, has been you can go out, you can visit friends and family, you know, it's it's about kind of getting around the restrictions. Because in a weird way, the sort of the risk of infection and even death seems to have been somewhat normalised. Whereas in a place where there are no outbreaks, it feels like those numbers going up has a bigger impact. Yeah, and I think that's exactly what happened. I'm really interested in this example in Tonga. So we should probably also state that this is an island nation. It is a relatively small nation. And so the success of the the campaign to try to increase vaccine uptake, which was very successful, 100% of people over 80, as far as the data that we have access to, tells us are vaccinated. But that's easier to do in a country that is very small, um, with the support of UNICEF and the WHO and so on. Is this something that would be practical to do that level of kind of community outreach and engagement in 
in bigger countries that perhaps might not be able to approach it in the same way? Yeah, that's a really good question. Look, I think it would depend where we're talking about. I mean, you know, mainland China is such a huge place and they also have um, lower vaccination rates than are probably ideal in their elderly community. And look, I'm not sure whether that's to do with vaccine hesitancy or just distribution and mobility, you know, like how do you get vaccines to hundreds of millions of people in rural China? That's something that they're facing. So what is it going to take to get that population vaccinated? Because, you know, mainland China still has essentially a COVID zero policy, although they have an outbreak at the moment and the city of Shenzhen is currently locked down. But, you know, their strategy is to try and suppress it and eliminate it. So yeah, are we going to see health officials going from village to village in China? I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't put it past the government there, but um, I don't know that they could do it quite like Tonga, given the size and the scale of the the task. Yeah. And I think all of this really kind of spotlights the importance of the social intersection with science here, right? The, The clinical sciences delivered a vaccine. It delivered several vaccines incredibly quickly. Now, those vaccines have not been distributed across the world anything like as equitably as they should have been. But even in places where they did get to, like Hong Kong, the fact that it has then not been taken up, that sort of goes beyond just what the clinical researchers need to do. This goes into the intersection of society, which is what we're now talking about, the sort of ways you can discourage vaccine hesitancy and I think it really highlights the importance of thinking about this public health response holistically. It is not the case that, you know, this outbreak is happening because the vaccines didn't work. It's because they're not being taken. That is a different question. And so whether or not this policy of zero COVID is working in Hong Kong or did work in Hong Kong was the right decision is a broader discussion than just for clinical scientists to discuss. Yeah, totally. I mean, and I I should say that this effect of finding that people are less likely to get vaccinated against an infectious disease if they feel at low risk of catching it is not new. Like we've seen this before in past infectious disease outbreaks, and I'm sure there would be plenty of social scientists who predicted that this would happen and tried to come up with strategies or gave government strategies about how to reduce this effect. So it would be interesting to know whether like some scientists out there are like, well, we told them what to do to avoid this, but they didn't listen to us. If you are one of those scientists, get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. Nikki, thank you so much. I think it's really fascinating for me as someone in the Western Hemisphere that that doesn't really talk about zero COVID strategies so much because there are so few states that have done that, most of which are in your hemisphere. So getting that perspective, I think, is really vital. And I think we're just going to have to watch to see what happens in Hong Kong. Perhaps the outbreak they currently are having will trigger uh, an increased uptake in vaccines. Perhaps it's will that will be able to, to stem it more quickly. I, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. Yeah, definitely something to keep watching. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello 
Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 